Okay, so let me ask you this morning, who's your favorite superhero? I mean, you got a lot to pick from. You got Batman, you got Spider-Man, you got Iron Man. By the way, does anybody in here know what you call uh, Iron Man without a suit? Stark naked. <laughs> now, my favorite beyond anything is uh, Superman. I mean, bar none. Come on, Superman versus Batman. What a joke that was. Superman is the man of steel. You know, he's just got it all together. He's, he's never afraid. He's never confused. Uh, he never had to find a support group, even though as a little baby, he not only lost his biological parents, he lost his biological planet. Try living through that, earthlings. I mean, he did. He never had to sign up for eHarmony.com because he was fine with himself, you know what I mean? He never had to seek therapy, even though his mom made him wear blue leotards and a cape under his clothes, you know what I mean? He was the man of steel. I loved Superman. He's always saving people, looking for weak people and saving. I mean, who doesn't love Superman? Am I the only one in here that put a towel on his neck and acted like he was, or am I the only one that admit it? Yeah, that's what I figured. I wanted to be like Superman. I wanted his supervision. I wanted to be able to fly. I wanted to bend steel in my bare hands. But you want to know what I wanted most of all? I wanted that chest. That Superman chest with the big S on it. Remember that? And I think I wanted it because I didn't have it. I didn't have it then. I don't have it now. I probably never will have. I don't have a chest that can have a big S on it. You could probably get, I don't know, a lowercase H on my chest. Call me hair man or something. But I'm not Superman, Okay. And you know what else I think? I think that that is the most important, the most painful, the most liberating thing that everybody in here can figure out for themselves, that you're not Superman. You're not Superwoman. That's what this text is all about this morning. I'm going to read to you. It's Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Very familiar. You'll remember it. We'll read it and kind of talk about it a little bit. They came to Capernaum, and when they got in the house, uh, he asked them, that is, Jesus asked them, what were you all arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, sitting them down, Jesus called the twelve and he said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child, had him stand among them, talking to him, taking him in his arms. He said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me doesn't welcome me, but welcomes the one who sent me. You remember that text? So, uh, Mark's saying, listen, we, we're just almost to Capernaum, and we're walking along, and Jesus said, hey, what were you guys fighting about back there on the road? And nobody would say anything. They were all just kind of kicking in the dust. Why? I mean, are you kidding me? Who in the world is going to stand before Jesus and say they were arguing about who's the greatest? Who got to be Superman in front of Jesus? And let's face it, one of the greatest enemies of our spiritual life and our home life and even our church life, it is this whole thing that John Ortberg calls supermanism. And it's in every one of us. Now, in some of us, it's right up front. Our egos are just that way, and you can just tell that's who we are. Others of us, not quite so much. It's quiet and subtle. But listen, we all suffer from this thing. There was a guy by the name of um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he wrote a book about this, and I, I read a little of it. I tried; It's a little deep for me. So I let John Ortberg clear things up for me a little bit. But in this book, Bonhoeffer talks about this thing called grandiosity. And he said, you find grandiosity in every Christian community. And he said, if you don't handle this thing head on, it has enough power to destroy any fellowship. 
And he describes at length about strong people taking advantage of weak and talented people taking advantage of the not-so-talented people and spiritual people taking advantage of the not-so-spiritual people, everybody jockeying for business. And then he says this, he sums it up like this, this can occur in the most polite and pious environment. And the important thing for us to remember in any Christian community, we should know that somewhere in it there will certainly always be the argument among who's the greatest. And I think he's right especially these days. And I think he's at least right enough that we ought to talk about it in light of this passage. Now, sometimes it's real obvious. It comes out in real obvious forms, like I'm going to date myself here, but it doesn't matter. You guys know I'm an old man anyway. But I loved boxing growing up, and not ultimate fighting. I mean boxing. And I loved Muhammad Ali. I mean, he was really cool. And uh, you remember, he's the guy that floated like a butterfly and stung like a bee. But do you remember his motto? Because he just said it out. We think it. We think it a lot. And if you don't think it's true, just start reading some people's Facebook posts and Twitters and how they talk to each other nowadays. We think this. He said it. I'm the greatest. In fact, I can see him stand there. I'm the greatest of all. Now, I've told this story before, but I can't help it. It's just funny. He got on an airplane one time, and the stewardess said, sir, you're going to have to buckle that seatbelt. He said, I'm not buckling my seatbelt. She said, it's the rules. You've got to buckle your seatbelt. He said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She said, Superman don't need no airplane. Buckle up or get off. You know what I mean? I love that stuff. But listen, we've all got to come to the realization sooner or later, sooner's better, that we're not Superman, that we're not Superwoman. And we all fight this thing. Come on, we don't say it out loud like that, but you, you can see it in so many different ways. It, it, even in a church, you know, people who are overachievers looking down at people that aren't overachievers. People are organized, looking at people kind of down because they're not organized. People who are all in about the Holy Spirit, looking at people that, you know, don't kind of quest the Holy Spirit. People who pray a lot. Well, I don't pray as much as he does, but I'll tell you one thing. I read the Bible. Well, I don't read the Bible as much as they do, but I sure take care of people. And we're always wanting to find our spot and, and grab our piece of the turf in the kingdom because, you know, I'm the greatest. That's what's going on with these guys that Jesus is talking to. It's nasty stuff. Now, the question becomes, is there a way to beat this? Because we don't want this in our life. And the answer to that is, yeah, very easy. He says so right in the text. You serve somebody. You do ministry. But we don't just do ministry. We've got to do ministry right. Because even when you're doing ministry, there's this constant danger trying to decide who's doing it best. Who's in control of everybody else around you. So Jesus taught him by taking this little child. And he said, look, you've got to serve this little child. This is somebody who can't do anything back for you. There's no cloud or status here. And he, he, if you don't do this once in a while, Jesus says, you, you're, you're going to find yourself wrapped up in meism and supermanism all the time. In other words, ministry drawn right will cause Christ to be formed in us. Ministry, by the way, is a byproduct of who we are. We just talked about that last week. That's who Jesus was. He spent so much time with the Father that the byproduct of that was he just loved people. He loved God and loved people. And it's the same with you and I. We spend a lot of time with Jesus, and the byproduct of that is we're going to love people and we're going to take care of each other. We're going to love Him and love people. So part of the cure for the sin of supermanism is serving people. Spend a lot of time with Jesus so you love Him and then you love people because of it. Now, there's some things going on in our lives to tell whether or not Christ is being formed in us even in the ministry. And the first one is this. We need to minister in community. I mean, it's a pattern of the New Testament. We, we've talked about this so many times in this church. God has given everybody in here and everybody watching out there a gift and a talent to use for Him in the kingdom, and He expects us to use it out there. But we equip each other 
for using it out there in here. It's the pattern. By the way, Claudia told me last week that I'm not talking enough to the people that are listening. I, I'm right. I'm not, I'm, this is new to me, okay? So I'm going to speak for just a minute to the people who are watching this morning with, with no judgment and no pushing. I'm just going to tell you I miss you. I, I want you here. Th- this is a safe place. This is safer than Walmart. It's safer than Target. It's safer than Kroger. It's safer than any place you go out to eat. This is a safe place to be. And as soon as you're comfortable, I want you back. We all want you back. That's the pattern. We, we equip each other in here, and then we go out to, and, and do it in the community. In, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus called the 12 in. He sent them out by twos into the community to serve. In, in Luke chapter 10, he called 72 together, and he sent them out in twos to work into the community. You read the book of Acts, the, the, the account, the history of the early church. The early church went out into the community to serve. And if you and I are going to beat Supermanism in our life, that's what we got to do. You got to come in here, get equipped, love on each other, and go out there and serve. There was a psychologist by the name of uh, Milton Rokich, and about 40 years ago, he was doing some hard research uh, with some inpatients who were suffering from the Messiah complex. Now, I don't know a whole lot about that. Uh, he's a doctor, I'm not. Claudia probably could tell you more about it. But in a nutshell, the Messiah complex is somebody who is all self absorbed, they have delusions of grandeur, and they actually think they're the Son of God. There's people like that. He was working with them, and, and he, he talks about this in a book called The Three Christ of Yusplanty, and, and he's, he's telling it that it's such a hard nut to crack working with these people, and one of the therapy uh, techniques that he used on them was to get them together with other people who thought they were messiahs, hoping that would shock them into reality, and he said he had them together one day, and he asked one guy, now, who do you, who, who'd you tell me you were again? He said, I already told you, I'm the son of God, and I was sent here to save the world, and he said, well, how do you know that? He said, God told me. And the guy sitting next to him said, I said no such thing to you. And so they argued back and forth because both of them wanted to be like God. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It should because that was the first temptation in the garden. You can be like God and it still works. You know why? Because we all want to be. Again, we can deny it if we want to, but we all want to be. We all want to be in charge. We all want to be the Messiah. It'd be my guess, you're, it's very possible you could be sitting next to a deluded little Messiah right now. Uh, disguised like Clark Kent, they look really good, but inside, they got a big S. Now look, I don't want that in my life, I've had too much of that. And I know you don't want it in your life, so what's the cure? Well, the cure is to go serve somebody. You do ministry, Jesus says. But remember, when that happens, you start doing ministry with a group of people. Eventually... There are going to be people thinking they're in charge and they're the Messiah. And again, sometimes it's right up front and bold. Sometimes it's real subtle, but you're eventually going to get to the place where who's in charge here. And when that happens, somebody's got to stand up and be courageous like Jesus and say, hey, what's going on? What are you guys arguing about? Do you think you're the Messiah? Because you're not. You know, it's been my experience most of the time when this happens, at least from my standpoint and from the people around me when it's somebody else, is this all boils down to we just want to be in control. And again, the sad truth is it's different different people, different levels. But we all want to be in control, and we all want to be right. And it's all across social media. I'm glad I don't do that. I really am. Angie's, their, their Bible study, they're studying this thing called get out of your head. Did I say it right this time? 
And, and they were talking about narcissism last week and how we've become so selfish and so self-absorbed. And, and they were talking about how you can see it in social media, how we think our opinions are so important. You know, and I love my two best friends in Plainfield. They, they batter, make her back and forth on Twitter and, and Twit and all that stuff. And I'm thinking, I love these guys so much. Do, do you really think your opinions that, you know, I love you, but I don't really care who you think should be president. I'm not going to fight you about that. But that's how we've gotten we want to be in charge. We want to be in control. I'm the greatest of the world. You know, that's us. I'll tell you, uh, I've seen a lot in weddings. I've, I've been at this 40 years, and I've done hundreds. We've done hundreds of weddings. And it's amazing that every rehearsal, there's somebody that wants to be in charge. Now, a lot of times they don't step up because we've done enough of these. We can get in and out of rehearsal in about 45 minutes, and people are always hungry. But every now and then, you know, somebody's stepping up, and I just let them go. They want to take over. Sometimes it's three hours before we get the thing done. And, you know, most of the time it's a mother. It just goes with the territory, you know. I did a wedding one time where the mom wasn't happy with anything. She didn't like the colors. She didn't like the dresses. She didn't like uh, the candles. She didn't like the flowers. She didn't like me. She told me if I couldn't get a decent pair of shoes, she was going to replace me. And that was my mother-in-law. That was my wedding. No, this kid. All right, that's not true. <laughs> but, you know, we got this need to take over. And, again, it might be obvious in some and it might be very, very subtle in others, but I'm, trust me, it's in every one of you. And you might say, oh, no, I'm not wired like that. I don't have a competitive bone in my body. That's not who I am. Yes, it is. And if we're not careful with it, family, what happens? Something starts going on in our heart that we don't want in there. We start seeing people as tools to use or obstacles to get by, but we don't see them as little children to love with no hope of anything back like Jesus tells us to. And that's what we want to do. One more uh, thing here, and then we'll move on to number two. When we do ministry, you've got to have somebody to do it with you, to hold you accountable, to remind you, hey, you ain't the Messiah. I just come on full-time. We just hit the 200 mark, and we were thinking about building this church, and I was fired up. And Scotty Richmond from Ellsville sent me a magazine article, and it said, is your church growing? Yes, it is. Are you thinking about building? Yes, we are. Is your church hiring new staff? Yes, it is. Is your church really busted? It seems yes, it is. I turned the page and it said, guess what? It's not your church. Never has been, never will be. Man, we've talked about that a lot of staff since then. Here's what happens. You get into church, according to this article, and man, it's true. And at first, you know, you're just honored that they ask you to be the preacher. You know, you just, or they ask me to be an elder. You know, I'm so, I'm so honored they asked me to be an elder. But at first, you want to make sure that, you know, you don't do anything to disrupt anything, that you don't cause anybody. You don't want to get, you know, but before too long, you know, better not anything happen here without going through me first. And you need somebody to look in the eye and say, this ain't your church. This belongs to Jesus. You ain't the Messiah. He is. So we do ministry in community with somebody else to remind us this is all for Jesus Christ. And number two, we, we minister out of weakness and not out of strength. Again, this is all through the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's talking about people jockeying back and forth positions. He even uses the term super apostles. And this is what he says. The Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, I'm going to boast all more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ can dwell in me. I mean, this is deep, powerful stuff that he's talking about and so practical. Do you guys know who Bill W. is? Yeah, yeah, I know. He's a.k.a. William Griffith 
Wilson. But everybody calls him Bill W. That's what I knew him for. I had to look up his real name. He's the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. And at the beginning, he was working with a group of people trying to, uh, to work through some Christian principles like confession and community and, and, and that kind of thing. But he was about a month into his sobriety, and he was in a big city by himself, and he got this urge to drink. He wanted to drink. And uh, so he got out the church directory and started looking up phone numbers, and he kept looking them up until he got to, to the phone number of a guy that he knew in church that was also an alcoholic, Dr. Bob. And so he called Dr. Bob up and said, man, I need some help here. I think I'm going to drink. And Bob said, you know, I do too. And they talked back and forth. Dr. Bob got saved from alcoholism. He became co-founder of AA. And and so what uh, Bill W. learned was he needed Dr. Bob, not because he was weak or he was strong and he was weak, because he was weak. He, He needed to talk to him and help him. Because as he helped him, he got healing himself. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. This is the divine law of the kingdom of God. There is no healing without helping. You can't heal unless you're helping somebody else. It's just one. Don't we know that's true? Don't we see that everywhere? You know, you help somebody, you help them because they need help. In addition to that, you need to help them. How many times have you heard somebody say, I went to bless them and I came back blessed? That's what we're talking about. And man, what an opportunity during COVID to get this done. Because COVID has caused us all, not just in social media and wanting to be right, although it's part of We've all drawn inside. We're gonna, I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going to make sure we're safe. I'm going to make sure we have toilet paper. And I'm going to make sure we have food. You know, I'm going to make sure. You want to heal? Make sure that family's safe. Make sure that family's got food. You make sure your neighbors have got toilet paper. You know? You take care of each other. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and serve all. He said that because it's the only safe and healthy and life-giving way to do ministry. And it's the only way to defeat supermanism. Now, this is how this thing works in a practical way at our house. I was thinking about this this week. On a Sunday like this, when it's raining outside and it's time of year and you can't do anything else, after church is over and we've had lunch and the kids all go home, Angie and I retire into the living room. I sit in my chair. She sits on the couch, and we watch football. She calls it butt time. Can I say butt from the pulpit? I'll tell you what. If my mom was here, she'd wash your mouth out with soap, Missy. But anyway, it is so wonderful. But here's the deal. We sit down to watch TV. We got two dogs, and they're wanting in and out all day. And if it's raining, they're wanting in and out real quick. Out and back in. So we take turns, and, uh, you know, she goes, and then I go, unless you're asleep. If you're asleep, you get to skip your turn. So guess what we've gotten real good at without telling each other? Faking it who's asleep. You can breathe real heavy. Twitch a little bit. Don't look at me like that. You know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? (laughs) All right. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking, here's what's going on in my heart. I'm sitting down in my chair, and I'm thinking, all right, I've been at church since 7 o'clock this morning. I've preached twice. I've hugged on people. I've loved on people. I've gone made a hospital call on the way home, which we've not done for a while, but, you know, that goes on. And I deserve now to be watching this football. I know what she's thinking in her heart. I've been at church since 9 o'clock. I've hugged and loved on people. I went to the hospital the same as you did. Only thing is, I've cooked lunch, cleaned up lunch, and I'm going to have to cook your dinner now too, you know what I mean? So we're both, well, here's what I've learned from this passage of Scripture, and I might try it out today, and I might not, babe. Sometimes it clicks. No. I'm going to let her sleep. I'll take care of the dogs. And here's the deal. If I can do that in a way that I'm not thinking in the back of my mind, oh, you're a good man. Oh, you're such a great husband. 
Or you're going to get some grounding points. If I can do this in such a way that I'm not thinking those thoughts, I'm moving towards what Jesus wants me to be. I'm thinking about somebody else without any benefit of myself. Jesus is saying, this child needs you, but more importantly than that, you need this child because you can't heal unless you help. Some of you need to get involved in some ministry. Some of you aren't doing that because you're scared. I get that. I get that. I said, I'm not judging. I'm not pushing. Some of you aren't doing ministry because you feel powerless or weak. Man, that's the best time to do ministry. That's what Paul said. When I'm weak, that's when he's strong. Some of you quit doing ministry because you got beat up the last time you did it. Christian people, I mean, Charles Swindoll said it best. We're the only army that shoots its own wounded. Man, we're terrible on each other. And some of you have been hurt in church. Some of you have been hurt in this church, and I'm so sorry for that. We shouldn't treat each other this way. But here's what happens if you're not careful. You get hurt, so you just stop serving. And if you're not serving, you're just going to go from fellowship to fellowship to fellowship. You're never going to heal because you can't heal if you don't help. So we got stuff to do. We need to get doing it, okay? We need to get busy. I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to move us down for prayer. Uh, He says, a community which allows unemployed members to exist. You all know what that means. A community that allows unemployed members to exist within it will perish because of them. Every Christian community must realize that not only do the weak need the strong, but the strong cannot exist without the weak. The elimination of the weak is the death of the fellowship. We got to have each other. We got to serve each other. We got to equip each other. So I minister out of my weakness, not on my strength. And number three, and this man, this one's a big one. As I minister, I got to find time to rest. We have got to find a key to solitude. And we've got time right now, like we never had before. When they came back from this mission that he sent them out on Mark chapter 6, they were fired up. Demons obeyed our commands. We healed people. I mean, they were so pumped up. Any quality leader of worth his salt would have sent them right back out. Why they're pumped and fired up, send them right out on the field and let them take it, you know? You remember what Jesus said? He said, come with me to a quiet place and let's get some rest. What? <laughs> we're tearing this place up. We're, we're taking a home. Let's go rest. You, uh, you all know... I've told you many times, the staff at South Union Christian Church is required to take one day of solitude every quarter. You want them to do this, church. they got to go someplace all day long without their cell phone and without their computer and spend the day with God four times a year. It's amazing. And if you haven't done it, you ought to try it. This is what Jesus is teaching us. And then once a year, we do it together. You say, how do you do solitude together? Oh, it's a blast. We just did it last weekend after church. We took off as a staff and went up to Gray's Restaurant, had dinner, laughed till we were sick, went over to Anderson Orchard, got some apples, went to Meyer and shopped around a little bit, and we ended up at Shepherd's Gate, which is just down from the power plant that I worked at for years. It's a big seven-bedroom house with a couple, three bathrooms on 10 acres. Gorgeous. You'd love it. Paths everywhere you go out, crosses up with benches, and you spend time with the Lord. Well, we got there. We had a weenie roast. And then we spent time playing some games. We played this game where you put the earphones in, and then you got to try to figure out what the other person's saying. I don't play that game well, neither does Jake. Watch this. Every time. Oh, I did? I did? You don't have it. Go, you chicken. But anyway, it, <laughs> it is a... It is a blast, man. We just had a ball. But then in the morning, see, after we've had all of this 
camaraderie. We get up and we go out. And for four hours, just you and the Lord, in the woods, in a room, on a couch someplace. And then we get back together for lunch and explain what we heard and we go home. It's a wonderful concept. It's a common union. Kind of what's going on here. A common union, communion, where we can do both. We can be together, love on each other, and laugh with each other, fellowship, and then have this solitude time, this union time, celebrating the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. Hey, we're all about loving Him and loving each other. Let's start by loving Him this morning. Come up, spend some time with Him.